0: Good morning, my name is Emmy. This morning our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from John chapter seven, selected verses in the New American Standard Bible. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus stood and cried out, Saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word of the Lord.
1: Morning. I feel uh, like I'd like to make a couple of comments before I get into the sermon this morning. Uh, thank you for letting me be here for five years. Uh, every day is a record for me. It's, it's a nice way to live. Uh, so fail hard in the beginning, and then you'll be doing great all the time afterwards. <laughs> but one of the questions I asked as I was uh, sort of just in the earlier years here uh, was, uh, Is there going to be bonding that happens between me and my family and the members of this church? That was a real question. Can it happen? Will I feel myself belonging here? And I just want to say that's really been happening. It's really been wonderful for us. And we talk about it. We feel it. uh, We're practicing it. And I don't know, maybe this isn't true, but my read of our relationship, pastor to congregation, is there's been uh, a growing trust, and I really appreciate that. And uh, in many ways, it feels like, oh, now we can begin to do some real work. We've sort of put down our arms, and we can uh, be shoulder to shoulder now. And it kind of feels more and more like that. Really, thank you uh, for that. And thank you for letting me grow uh, at your expense. This morning, as I was thinking about uh, how, uh, you know, we've been here for these five years, and actually, we've begun year six now. Uh, I kept thinking about this one comment I made during my interview. I was up here. It was kind of a town hall meeting. It was before I was hired. And I don't remember specifically all that I said, but I know that in general I was babbling. And I was saying this one sentence that I just keep regretting every time I think about it. I won't say it again, but (laughs) that's emblematic of all the babbling I've done and all the ways you allow me to grow and you're absorbent and patient, so thank you. For that i really mean that so thank you uh I, second thing i thought julie missed a huge opportunity at a dorky covenant church joke she said we're gonna do baptisms in the lake which means we're gonna go all baptist and dunk people and it's gonna rain and so we get to sprinkle people so if if you're part of the covenant church either one is cool and she missed that i don't know why she missed that such a good joke Third, (laughs) Uh, since Susie's parents are here, they came on Friday. Uh, Susie and I are going to take this opportunity to go backpacking for a couple of days. Uh, We're leaving today after service. And I was never, ever going to do this, never. And in fact, this summer when she asked me to go camping with her and the girls, I just said no. She threatened divorce. I said, I don't care. I'm not going. (laughs) She went by herself. Had a great time, but I'm going because uh, she got me into gear. I didn't know gearing up is so much fun. I got my bear spray. I got my Gregory pack, my water filter. It's going to be great and awful, and I'm going to die. So (laughs) it's been great knowing you all. We'll see you in heaven. That was my daughter that just read scripture. What is that feeling that you get as a parent when you see your kid up front? It's like way more than that if your kid tells stories, and so we are scouring our church group for younger storytellers to mix in with the other storytellers, and uh, we're off this week because it's a communion Sunday, but if you are a parent and you're okay forcing your 18 or younger kid to tell stories, please send an email to me. We'd love to hear from your kids, and you'll feel great seeing them up here, all right? We have room for about uh, eight more storytellers this year, okay? All right. So we are uh, in a series called The Son of God in the book of John, and today the title of the talk is The Holy Spirit. We're we're not going to talk about everything pertaining to the third person of the Trinity. That'd be a long sermon, even longer sermon, I should say. But we're gonna touch on it I think in a practical way and I hope it challenges you. It's been challenging for me. The question I'm asking today is you and I have personally difficult scenarios, situations. You know, we come to a wall or an impasse or we come up against situations that are complex and they have lots of moving parts and you don't have control over all of the parts and so you just feel sort of helpless. You know, Or you're up against smarter or better or faster people and you don't know quite how to enter into the situation. Or whatever it is, you have some hard situations in your life, you kind of do all that you can and still it doesn't work. It's not enough. Then what do you do? What's your next move after it doesn't work? And so you may say, okay, maybe I'll seek out a professional, somebody I can pay who has devoted their life to understanding this particular area I'm struggling with. You seek them out, you pay your hard-earned dollars to them, and it still doesn't work. What do you do? What's your next move? Okay, maybe uh, you get your friends together and you share, and maybe there is power in the hive mind, and they speak into you. And then it still doesn't work. What do you do? What's your recourse? So this is the question I want to try to address today in broad terms. In this chapter today, uh, Jesus is being recognized. He's doing some really amazing jaw-dropping Miracles. He's also saying words in a way that no human being has ever said before. He speaketh as one with authority, as some of his uh, enemies said about him. They can't quite figure him out. They can't put it together. Nothing sort of adds up. And what happens is they have uh, sort of a divided, collectively divided reaction to him. There's a group of people who support him, who believe that he is something that is divine. And so they're sort of holding their breath, but they remain open and they're looking to see what he's about. Others, they accuse him of being demon possessed. They say, surely he's controlled by demons. How else does he get these powers or his words? He's just off. It doesn't fit into our construct of what a religious leader should look or feel like. So they accuse him of being a demon, uh, demon. demonized. Still others, they take it a step further, and they're conspiring to murder him. And they're looking for a way to positively identify who he is. Because remember, they don't have pictures or videos or audio. They only hear about things. So unless he's locally there and you're there, you don't even know what he looks like. You have vague descriptors and such things. So they're not sure who he is, a lot of them have not met him, but they are sure that he's a threat There's something that gets triggered in them and they want to kill him. So all in all, everybody is divided about who he is and they don't quite know how to address this situation. They perceive him to be the problem, but Jesus perceives them to be the problem. Here's John chapter 3 verse 19 to 21. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God." And so they say, Jesus, you are causing problems. Why do you have to exist? Let's eliminate your existence. Why are you here? You're disturbing the peace. You're creating division. And Jesus says, no, actually, you are always this way. I didn't create or cause anything. But my presence, my words, the light that I'm shedding by my deeds and actions and words uh, is exposing the things that you already were. And I wonder how much of how many of you think about your problems this way. That you contribute to the problems in your life. That part of our problem is our reactivity to light. And so, you know, you have a problem at work, you don't know how to solve it cuz there are people who are in higher positions than you, and there's a culture, there's a, a working style that doesn't quite fit you, you know, and you have all these valid complaints, and yet there you are experiencing it, and Jesus says, you know, it's not just about your workplace. It's also about you. There's, that's the nature of what a trial does. It's hard on you, and that difficulty cuts you, and you bleed what you bleed, and it kind of, you show yourself to be whatever you are, there it is right there in your blood. And so uh, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, as, as I usually do about my marriage, that was kind of my go-to uh, playgrounds uh, for God's work in my wife's life. <clears throat> but I was thinking about these moments when we may be arguing about something, there's a bit of a back and forth, and I feel, I feel my resistance to the truth. Like there's a there's a, a deeper, more buried part of me that knows that she's right. That she has a pure thought. And yet I'm still fighting. I'm employing the tactics, the tools that I have. I have better, more, faster words than she does. You know? So I use that. And then I have this positional advantage because. Uh, I'm sort of the leader of the family. I feel my headship in the family. And I wield that, whether I'm aware of it or not, she's sort of in a, um, you know, in a lower uh, position. And so that's always in play, whether I acknowledge it or not. That dynamic is there. And on top of that, you know, I'm physically just a stronger, bigger person. That's what males tend to be. And so I have that. And that's always a thing, you know? But somewhere in my heart, I I feel the challenge to my ego and my pride, my selfishness, and maybe even my fears. It's like deeper. It's multi-layered. It's complex. It comes out as rationale, but really at the center of it is a fear that I have. And I sort of cloaked it in rationale to sort of address my fear. And so I feel, I feel that resistance in me. And I, and I realize at those moments, she can't win. It's not a fight that she could win because I'm not fighting fair. You know, there's sort of light coming from her towards me, and I just keep blocking out the light because I don't want the light. And you have to get honest and introspective about yourself. But if you had moments when you know you're wrong, And it's just your rebellious, stubborn ego at work, sort of putting up a fight. And then maybe hours later, you sort of say, You know what? You're right. Forget it. You're right. This is what's actually going on. Here's the truth. You know, I have those moments on the regular. And so when I read John 3, this makes sense to me. The people have an established way of living a way of being and walking about their day, and they don't want to change that. They don't want that disrupted. They have figured out certain advantages. They know the system, and Jesus is a challenge and a threat to that. And so we have lots of verses that illustrate that. Verse 7 from today's passage, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. We don't really want to know what's wrong with us. This is true. This is really, really true. We don't want the light. And we will put up a fight that looks like we love the light, but in actuality, we love darkness rather than the light. And this is a matter that has to be addressed By you. Nobody else can look into your heart and say, here's what's really, really going on. James chapter 4, verse 1 What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Is this true? Is this really the reality of situations in the world and in our lives? I can't, I can't answer that question for you. You know your heart, but yet the Bible says, actually, you don't know your heart. The heart, above all else, is deceitful. James 3, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, Demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. When I read this, I think about those fights that I have with Susie. I think about it. And I know she's right on some deep level. And yet I mask it as wisdom. I argue for it as wisdom. But in my heart of hearts, there's a part of me, a small part of me that knows that it's earthly. It's natural. And it's demonic in that sense. I'm employing you to serve my hidden purposes. For what jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. Harsh words at first reading, not so harsh if I think about it. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Proverbs 423, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So tell me again what's wrong with the world. Is it really the problem? Is the problem really the fact that our you know organizations and structures and systems are problematic? Is that really where the brokenness lies? Yeah, those things can stand to be improved always, for sure. Can you have better fighting techniques? Yeah, there are fair fighting techniques. Like you can say the word I more than you say you when you're fighting with somebody. Great. But the real problem, the problem underneath all problems comes from your heart. Is the testimony of Scripture. That something is really, really wrong, broken on a heart level. And it emanates from there to make everything else problematic. And so if you have a problem at work, you can create policies. You can call HR and solve the problem, and that's so good. But the best HR will actually address the heart. And law, law is good. You can call lawyers if you have problems. But the law doesn't address the heart. The law can enforce you being a kind person. It can just keep you from being a jerk, but it can't force you to be a good person. There are limitations to the things we can directly do, but the heart, the heart, how do you get at the heart if that's really where the problems are? Now, I've thought long and hard about whether I want to tell this next story or not. And uh, as Susie and I were talking about it, we realized it's kind of an iffy one, but I'm going to tell it. And you'll have to, some of you will get a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, Susie predicted that maybe some people uh, might get worried for me, and it, it gets kind of messy. But I want to tell it because it's true, and it's just something that's recent, and that's what I do, so I don't want to withhold this story from you. I was meeting with the leader of a uh, Group, a nonprofit organization that's working to raise awareness and promote healing around all the different races that exist in Seattle land. So they were the head of this organization. They started it. And uh, he was telling me a couple of stories that just uh, really uh, shocked me, and it may shock you too. Uh, The story that he led with was last year, uh, a six-year-old was going to school for the first time got on the bus, and on the bus on the way to school was called the N-word by a fellow student. Just on the first day of school, this little six-year-old girl was devastated, just tears and just life ruined. The school uh, called a meeting the very next day. The both the parents were, sets of parents were there. And what happens is the victim started getting blamed. And you know, whenever a crime is perpetrated, this is what we do as part of our self-defense mechanism. We always look for holes in what the victim did wrong. And that's a way of protecting ourselves, right? So what could she have done to provoke? And, and just kind of went that way. And finally, um, the first had to the conversation going that way and said, you know, let's really address what happened. You know, and then the parents of the uh, perpetrator, perpetrating kid, flipped it again and said, "You know what? I don't want my kid to ever be near that kid. Put them in all separate things. Just create a barrier. I don't want trouble anymore." And that's the way the meeting ended. And uh, he was telling me this story, and it was just, it was shocking to me. It was heartbreaking to me, and it made me think about our society and how fractured our society is today. And I started thinking about my own stories that I've experienced just in the last five years here on the island. The first time was my first year here. Just a couple of months in, I was uh, doing one of my runs uh, around the island, and uh, a car slowed down, and the two windows near me rolled down, and these... uh, Boys in the car, these teenagers, I assume, started yelling, started making these noises at me like ching-chong and that kind of noise and and started cursing at me and told me to go back to where I came from. And then they sped off. And I thought, boy, welcome to the island, I guess. You know? And I just remember going, oh, I didn't expect that. So that happened. And then another time, I was picking up Thai food. I called in a to-go order. Uh, at the Thai restaurant, Pond Prom, across the street from here. I went to go pick it up, and I was walking out, and there was a woman that was dining at a table near the door. She stopped me by putting a hand on my arm and then said, oh, excuse me, do you deliver? I didn't know you delivered. And that hurt my feelings, because the assumption was I worked there, obviously. <laughs> because, I don't know, I just didn't feel like a legitimate member of society. That's kind of the role that I fit, and that was the default, you know, go-to for her, and it came out. And that sort of hurt my feelings, like, you know, I, I may not be a worker. I could, I could be a patron of this establishment. You know, that's what I was thinking. And I have a few more stories like that that's happened to me here on the island. And it really got me thinking these stories as he was talking, and it raised doubt in my mind about what it really takes to help heal our fractured society. And so I began to challenge him with questions. I asked him what he does, and if he believes in what he does, and if he really believes that it's possible to heal and fundamentally transform society based on his work. This is where the story for me was so good. He said, no, he's, not, he's really not sure. And in fact... He said one of his kids asked him that. And when he really got honest with himself and with his son, he felt sort of a draining of hope. My question was, where's your hope meter? You know, where's the needle on hope? He said, it's pretty down. He said, it's pretty low. And then he asked me what kind of work I do at the church here. And I began to share what we're doing. I said, you know, I really think this is a hard work. And so where we're going with this is we're working to create a safe space for as many different kinds of people as possible and so that they can have safe and holy conversations. Then he said, you know, I'm agnostic. I don't really do what you're saying you do. I can't do that. So, well, this is what we're doing. And at the end of the conversation, he said, boy, I feel really tempted to become a Christian even though I'm an agnostic. And that's the way the conversation ended. And so, was that, was that uncomfortable? Was that hard? It's okay. I apologize for that. <clears throat> so, how do we address small and large issues where we're at an impasse? What would you do? How would you get to what the Bible says is the heart of the problem? How do you get to somebody's heart, whether it's your family members or your workplace or society? How do you do it? And so we have some verses here that I want us to read. uh, And I think it's really going to give us an insight here. Verse 6. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. What does that little verse mean? My time is not yet here. And this is interesting because we know Jesus to be God. He's the Lord. We've talked about this already. He's the great I am, remember? And yet he says, my time is not yet here. And we begin to get our first clue that Jesus is a man who viewed himself as one under authority. He wasn't just doing whatever he wanted to do, but he is submitting to higher truths and principles. He's not just going by the seat of his pants or following his feelings or his ego or whatever else he's got going on. But he is aware of and tracking the sense of timing that's not of him as far as he is here in verse 6. Verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And again, we get this uh, underscoring of the same sense. That Jesus is just, isn't just saying whatever he wants to say, but he is submitting himself, isn't he? He is merely the conduit of a teaching. That's not his, he says, but it's from above. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Jesus doesn't speak from himself, nor does he seek his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one Again, living and working in submission to a higher authority. And then verse 37 and following, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, listen to this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So let me spell out this very telling juxtaposition for us. Here Jesus is, he's doing all these cool things. And then society's reaction to him was completely divided. How would Jesus, in his own earthly ministry, go about trying? To fix this fractured society? If you were Jesus, where would you start? What could you do? How do you really go about creating understanding that takes a lifetime to obtain? How do you change somebody's heart and not just what they see, but how they see it, from where they see it? How do you get at that level? And here it is, right in the midst of all of this division in the whole chapter. If you reach the whole chapter, you'll see it's all about a divided society and literally just ends with, and everybody was divided. Demons and murder and conspiracies and division. And Jesus in the middle of it says, Ah, you need the Holy Spirit. There is no way any system, any human being, any effort from the outside can actually fix what's broken. It really does require this mystical thing, this invisible power, this presence outside of a human being called the Holy Spirit. I don't know uh, if you had memories come to you when we were talking about uh, you know, the, the eagle rising up in fights and conflicts. But when I look back on those fights, I really feel like it's God changing my heart. I feel that it's an outside presence working on me. There's a truth that's not of me that's being shed light on in my heart and in my mind. And then I come to say, oh, I'm I'm wrong and I'm sorry, and I don't want to do it again. I get this sense that it can't come from me, it can't come from somebody else. It has to come from an outside force, and the scriptures identify this as the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, and you come to these moments of impasse, don't you find yourself wishing that somebody's heart could just change? Don't you feel that you're at your wit's end, that it's beyond your ability to control or uh, influence? I feel that way. The metaphor that I thought about was, you know, uh, sometimes like when I'm on a long paddle run, like uh, when I go around the island or something, it's uh, about 13 miles, and I just feel like I can't make it. I'm just dripping sweat, and as always, I didn't bring a drink, and I didn't bring any food, and it's been hours already, and then somehow, I end up where I started, and I'm back, and I finished, and it's this sense that I paddled, but it's not my paddling that got me there, and that's how I always feel when I'm at an impasse with things. I come to this point of not knowing what to do next, and then that's when I sort of stop. And I'd look around my own heart and say, God, I can't do this, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I got mixed motives. I really need your help. And then somehow, something happens, and I'm there. You know, it's almost like last week, you know, there was this story about how the disciples are stuck uh, in, a, in a boat, and then when Jesus walked on water and came on the boat, next thing they know, they were on land. And it's that same feeling that, yeah, they were exerting effort, but it's not the effort that got them there. You know, yes, I'm trying my darnest, but it's not my trying that gets me there. But there's something serendipitous, something mysterious, something that was not me. And the Bible says that's the Holy Spirit. Application. Uh, Two applications. One is patience and one is perspective. Uh, look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. This is probably the simplest, pithiest little phrase that describes the whole sermon in one sentence. Not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, that word hosts, it means armies. And so here's the God of the armies. That's powerful, right? the Lord of the hosts, armies of angels. And God says, it's by my spirit. It's not even by my hosts. It's not their job that's getting it done. It's me. It's my spirit that's getting it done. It's not you and your effort. It's not all the solutions we create in our world, but it's my spirit that gets it done. Do you believe that? John chapter 1, verse 10 and following, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." This is the Bible's view on what makes the world really click forward. Left to our own devices, we are always going to be counterproductive when you total it out. We're going to net negative. We're going to have taken one step forward and three steps back. And the history of the world is going to keep clicking that way. The way the world progresses from life to death, And there's something outside that breaks into this cycle of life and intervenes. That's revival, that's renewal, and turns the clock back so it moves towards life rather than towards death. Everything in this world materially reminds us that everything is clicking towards death. And yet on the inside, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are clicking younger. We're clicking towards life. Why does that happen internally when externally everything is moving towards death and decay? And the Bible says that counter energy is not from within. It can't be because everything within is clicking towards death. But by the work of the Spirit, you click forward. Inside, your spirit is growing. It's being nurtured in a different direction. How? How? That's the Holy Spirit. You are born not of your own will, not of your mom's blood, but by the will of God. And to know this, to believe this, is to be born again. That you know you are not of you when you are at your best. You are really of God. You are a conduit. You're being filled. You're just an empty vessel. And God fills you and he authors your life. And so if you are a Christian, this is part of your uh, response to anything that happens in the world. You hear about flooding and deaths and chaos in Texas. And so, yeah, you give and you do all the human will, effort stuff you know to do, knowing, knowing that the way you actually get there, though, is not by power, uh, might nor power, but by God's Spirit. And so you also get down on your knees and you pray, God, help the people of Houston. God, redeem this situation. May individual hearts be encouraged and know that you're alive and well, that you care. I pray that your name would not be defamed in Houston. You have to pray these things. And so we have this uh, call to be patient because the spirit is working. You know, part of our problems we're so quick to Uh, make the judgment call. You know, we just call it. This person is never going to change. That person is always like this. And we just sort of close the lid on things. And God's spirit says, no, 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 not yet. If your view, your perspective is eternity, you're sort of a patient person. You know, even physicists will tell you that a million years, oh, that's nothing. A million years is absolutely not even a second in the scheme of things. I learned this week that there's infinities that are greater than other infinities. A mathematician friend was explaining this to me. And I got clarification from my other daughter on how that works. (laughs) You know, when you have that kind of perspective, you have all the reason in the world to be patient. Knowing that God's not impatient and knowing that it's God at work. It's not you. And then you have Perspective that everything will be all okay. I know sometimes it just looks like atrocity, and we want to say, "Why? how can there be God? Why is there evil when God is supposed to be good? You ask these questions, and God says, wait, 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 that's just, that's just the surgeon just making the first like, millimeter of the cut. That's nothing. Yeah, there's a little blood, and there's a little pain, but this is just starting. We're going to get this all figured out. And God says, it'll be okay. You just watch. One day, I will wipe every tear away and every knee will bow. Not because I make them, but because they finally see with absolute certainty and clarity that I am the Lord. That day's coming. And in our little tiny squish perspectives, we're all impatient and have no perspective. And God says, my spirit is working. Hold out your child. Hold out your family members. Hold out your working life, your identity, whatever angst you have, your aging and your losses, and just hold it all out there. Hold out our fractured society. Hold it out there. The tragedies that are unfolding in our world, hold it out there. Because God is going to work. conclude with this verse. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer this morning that your spirit uh, would fill us individually and as a church. And I pray that we can not just be diligent Christians or pragmatic ones, but also spiritual ones who really believe increasingly less and less in ourselves and more and more in you and your spirit. And God, I know that this belief will not diminish our efforts, but it will... Fuel our efforts, that we will work all the more harder, as Paul said, knowing that you are at work. Give us confidence and humility. Help us to be lovers of light rather than darkness. And I pray that we would hold out hope for our lives and for this world because of your spirit who is at work among us so God I lift up each person here that we would have the fullness of the measure of the Holy Spirit that we need for our lives for our church that we would have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be the church and I pray for our world that your spirit would move and hover and penetrate all of the darkness all in due time in Jesus name